You're listening to the Writer Than You podcast. All right, good morning. Happy Friday. Thank you for being here, Bill Ryder, with you. We are coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Whether you're looking to purchase a new home or refinance yours, Rocket Mortgage can help you get there for home loan solutions that fit your life. Rocket can. Man. All right, so, so just came across the old breaking news machine a few minutes ago, literally minutes ago, TMZ has a video of Draymond Green punching Jordan Poole in the face a couple days ago. It is worse than you might have anticipated. It is violent. It is ugly. It certainly explains the chorus of support you will hear in about 15 or 20 minutes from various members of the Warriors, including Steph Curry, rallying around to my ear Jordan Poole. We will get into that topic. Man, Dre, what were you thinking? We, we welcome your phone calls, as we always do, throughout the entire show at 855-212-4CBS. Love to hear from you. We're going to get into Tom Brady saying that the NFL, he's got a critique, the National Football League has some ugly football out there. Maybe. There's a lot of two-and-two teams. Just what the NFL wants every Single game matters right now, just about. But it does sound a lot like a guy who's in a really bad place personally, something we have talked about on the show. Uh, what'll put us all in a good place personally? Can't wait. Our buddy, Nick Costos, Odyssey's Gambling Insider, the man behind, or one of the gentlemen behind, you better you bet, going to be on the show in about an hour. It's a Friday tradition. It's like there's three things we know about Fridays, all right? Costos is going to be on. Uh, Bum of the week is going to happen at the end of the show. That's exciting. And D-Cell is going to do backflips into the office. It's pretty. Good morning, Tom, by the way. Tom DeCelestino here on the, on the show. Um, it actually is Friday. I, I, I wished you a, a happy Friday yesterday morning, but it wasn't Friday. So let me just make up for that. Happy Friday, buddy. Good morning, Bill. Happy actual Friday mm-hmm. to you. I was a little gun shy on sending you a, a, a Friday gift this morning. It, it really... I looked at my phone. It said Friday. I just, but I wasn't. I had to ask you: Is it Friday to make sure? I didn't want to. I didn't want to go through that again. We have a great show planned. How's buy or sell? You put that together. It's about an hour and a half from now. It's a bunch of headlines. How are we feeling about it? It's an elite buy or sell on a Friday. Elite. So it's the exact opposite of Thursday night football. So the scales are going to balance. Now I'm gonna. I'm gonna be honest with you. I did a bad job booking my travel. I thought yesterday. I. I. I um. I was bouncing around the East Coast. Flew back from the East Coast yesterday on a lovely six-hour flight with no screens. Not going to call it the airline, but I love that. I love not having screens on on, on airplanes. And um, that made it very difficult to watch Thursday Night Football because I was in the air. And when I was getting on the plane, I was thinking to myself, man, what an idiot I am. i got to get up tomorrow. i got to talk about this game. I'll watch the video, but it's not the same thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss... You know, maybe a pretty interesting game. Colts against Broncos, Russell Wilson trying to turn it around. And it turned out, while I was flying across and over our beautiful country for six wonderful hours, I was missing, literally, they tell me, I've read, I didn't see it, I, just, I don't want to lie to you, the worst Thursday night football game in history. Now, Diesel, I know you watched it. Before I get into what I think it means, what I think the takeaway is, we tend to exaggerate, was the game, I saw the score, Broncos should have won. Colts pulled it out. Nobody scored a touchdown. Was it as ugly as they're saying? What made it the worst game 
in Thursday night football history is we actually had overtime. There was extra yeah. time of this, this I don't even know what to call it, slop fest that we were given. Ooh. And I don't even blame the NFL. Like, preseason scheduling this game, this was supposed to be a good, solid game. We got the complete opposite. Slop fest. Can I, can, I, can I admit something to you? I love Sloppy Joe's. That was one of the few lunch things at school I was in on. I had Sloppy Joe's for dinner last week. I love Sloppy Joe's. And there you can have breakfast. I've got to a point in my, in, my, in my life where I eat breakfast food at night and I eat dinner food at 9. I'll get home from this show, my time, 9.30, 9.45 in the morning. And if I've had a pizza, then I'm just eating pizza. I'll eat hamburgers. Oh, yeah, I'm doing it. The world is upside down, including the reality. And I think it is I think it is a reality. I think we're there. Russell Wilson is washed. Russell Wilson was damaged goods. And the Seattle Seahawks, with the help of a coach who's over his head in Denver, utterly and totally fleeced the Broncos. Couple games here and there, sample size. Small. Maybe you don't rush to judgment. Early in the season, we've seen Russell Wilson not always perform at the level that he should. But last night's game was just the fifth time in Russ's career. The savior of the Broncos, the quarterback legend, the future, and he will be Hall of Famer, who is going to come in, take that Denver team, that offense by the reins, with a great defense and compete in the AFC West. That quarterback, for just the fifth time in his career last night, accounted for no touchdowns and multiple picks, including the one at the end of regulation. And it wasn't an interception, but those of you that watched the game, or me who got to watch it at you know four this morning, which was super fun, although I already knew the outcome, so I got to sort of anticipate it. It's not as ugly to watch something that you know is ugly, right? You're sort of prepared, you're prepared emotionally for it. It's like if you if you ask your you know you're in high school and you ask your you know your girlfriend or the girl you like out to homecoming right we all have that where she comes out the door or down the stairs you think you know what she looks like right like oh you're so beautiful and there's a dress and I'm nervous and your dad's looking at me like he's gonna murder me for reasons I won't understand for thirty years got it got it got it well this is where she comes down and she's just hideous I mean she's just covered in warts and it's a, it's just like what happened did you discover the ugly tree. Between now and I had got the guts to ask it a week ago, that's Russell Wilson. He's terrible. He was awful. And even though it wasn't a pick, that fourth and what was it? Fourth and two from the five. Kick a field goal. You can keep the game keeps going. Or, and this is just this is just me spitballing here, thinking crazy deep analytics. Run the football, pick up the first down, and continue for an attempt for a very short field for just a few yards to win. The football game, and remember, you've got in, in Russell Wilson a guy who has experience with throwing the ball when he shouldn't. Gave away through that interception of the Super Bowl a ring to Tom Brady and the Patriots that should have belonged a second to Russell Wilson and that Seahawks team. Didn't learn that lesson and threw an incomplete pass on fourth down. That wasn't a turnover, but it might as well have been because that was that was ball game. And I don't usually go to sound this quickly, but it's so good because Richard Sherman and, and Russell Wilson don't don't get along. Richard Sherman was at the forefront of the Legion of Boom schism with Russ when they all got sent out, and, and Pete Carroll and Seattle for several years went with Russell Wilson instead of those aging defensive veterans who were still bitter and angry about that lost Super Bowl. And, according to our friend 
my old college buddy ESPN's excellent NFL writer Seth Wickersham, which was a lot of jealousy in how Russ was treated. So there's history here. That's the context. But I think Richard Sherman spoke for all of America on Amazon Prime last night after the game when he lost his mind, not just on the play, but but Wilson's inability to learn from the mistakes this season and one of the mistakes that defines his career. On the final play, you got to run the ball again. Like, I, I mean, I wish I had Marshawn up here. Like, one yard. You need one yard. Run the ball. Run, what? Run the ball. Hey, CT. He's triggered. All he has He's to triggered. do is run the football. Like, <laughs> necessary criticism. I'm not, you know, I've said enough criticism for him. Run the dang ball. Like, Learn from I, your mistakes. I don't. Can somebody fill me in? What is he yeah. referring to? I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> Have you been in this situation before? Run I, the I, ball. He's triggered. Nice little, nice little barb in there. Uh, behind Russell Wilson's leadership last night, the Broncos were over four in the red zone. They got a field goal. They had a blocked field goal. He threw an interception, and then there was that game ceiling empty trip that concluded with that with that incompletion. Which again, it doesn't show up as an interception on the old score sheet, but in reality, is a searing and scorching indictment of Russell Wilson's talent and ability so far this season, his ability to be successful, and a Broncos team that is veering toward utter and total disappointment. In fact, that team. They have just three touchdowns on 14 red zone drives this season. That's 21.5%. That is the worst by any team through five games, not this year, since the 2008 Rams who won two games. And, look, good win for the Colts. I didn't get my bet, and I hope, Diesel, I wish you gambled. You could just take my wisdom and bet. Uh, but we thought the Colts would cover. Obviously, they, they, they did. They were underdogs. They, they win the game. The Colts, who were awful as well, by the way, let's not get it twisted. They look, and there's two ways to look at it. I suppose in both cases you could praise each defense and say if you can figure out the offense a little bit, you're going to be okay. But that's been an issue, a recurring problem for the Broncos all year long. But the biggest thing for me that I find fascinating about this, and the biggest takeaway beyond the fact that the Broncos are an absolute dumpster fire, and Russell Wilson isn't going to work. And the AFC West is not the division we thought it was going to be, which it seems like a recurring mistake I make. Every year I should just come on and do a segment about why the AFC West is actually going to suck, and I'm stupid for buying into it, because the Raiders aren't exactly world beaters either. The biggest takeaway is the reversal of the Belichick-Brady situation. Now, I know that Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson are a poor man's version of that, but they're both Hall of Famers. You know, if, if And it's not if with Brady being the best QB of all time, and with Bill Belichick being considered one of the great coaches of all time, and he was certainly universally considered the greatest before Brady left, and that's something Aaron Rodgers reinforced in the last week leading up to their game last weekend. With that, If that's who those guys are, remember, Pete Carroll's a top... I mean, he's probably a top five coach in the history of the sport, actually. Very few people have won a national championship and a Super Bowl. He's certainly a top ten coach of all time. And Russell Wilson, despite the debacle that is this season, is a future Hall of Famer and, at least statistically speaking, one of the greats he is. And so when the Brady-Belichick thing happened and we thought we had the definitive answer on all-time great coach and all-time great quarterback and it was all-time great quarterback, it turned out that was just unique to that situation. Because what we're seeing here and what we saw on Thursday Night Football and, and the reality and the mess and the ugliness of what Russell Wilson is is the genius of Pete Carroll and the way in which Russell Wilson needed him the end. I don't care what Pete Carroll's specialty is back in the day. Let me give you a, a remarkable number of stats to prove this. And those of you that play fantasy football and have Geno Smith on your bench like I do, and every week watch him put up bigger numbers aren't going to be a than whoever you have starting, Justin Herbert, aren't going to be surprised by this. 
Geno Smith, and I like Geno. I know him a little bit from back in the day. Great guy. Nobody was confusing him with a NFL starter, let alone a successful one. But whatever's going on in Seattle, whatever the approach that they have, whatever the run-first approach sometimes it, that made Wilson so angry, right now Geno Smith has the highest completion percentage and lowest off-target percentage in the National Football League. Think about that. While Russell Wilson is awful without the comfort, the excellence, the coaching, the structure, the approach of Pete Carroll and his staff, Geno Smith, a guy that most of us, myself included, had written off, is playing at the highest level of his career. He has more passing yards per attempt this season than Patrick Mahomes. He has a better passer rating than Josh Allen. None of these things are exaggerations. This team was supposed to win two games this year. Remember the stat I just gave you about the last time a team was this bad offensively of the Broncos and the Red Zone won two games? Seattle's already got two wins. They're, what, two and two. Russell Wilson's an incredibly talented guy. But success in life is sometimes about the individual, but is often, is very, very often, actually about being in the right spot with the right people or the wrong people. Seattle was the secret ingredient to Russell Wilson's success. That's the deal. That's what we know. He needed that level of excellence. I'm going to close on this because I can't get to everything. And I hate to pick on Nathaniel Hackett. I actually do. Nathaniel can't hack it because, by all accounts, great guy. But as I say all the time, I'm a great guy, I think. Well, I don't know if that's true, but I think I am. And you wouldn't want me to be your heart surgeon. Like, there's not actually a great, a real correlation between that guy's cool and I want that guy in charge of insert anything important, including your football team. To demonstrate, I think we've already shown, and we already know how great Pete Carroll is, and what he's done with Geno Smith this year is a testament to that football organization's ability to get the best out of guys. Now, Russell Wilson didn't just leave that. He went to one of the worst situations you could go to with a coach who's clearly over his skis. And I'm just going to set up Nathaniel Hackett talking after that Broncos brutal loss in overtime yesterday with these with this thought. Nathaniel Hackett, maybe you should not say words anymore. We wanted to win the game. We hadn't moved the ball very well the whole night, and I thought we had a spectacular drive to get all the way down there. Uh, it ended up being fourth and one and uh, got the go to go for it and thought that was a good decision, wanted to put the ball in Russell's hands and call, called a play that we know that, that he really likes, and it didn't work out. It was one of those things. The timeout before it was to kind of get a feel for what they were doing, and so the run didn't look as good as we had hoped it would have and, and gave, it, gave us a chance with Russell, and, and that's all you can ask for in that situation to win the game. This guy's doing a description like some 17-year-old future broadcaster on his first YouTube attempt where he's just sort of describing what we already know. We got the go from who? The, the stars? Did, did you check your... You're the head coach. You give the go. You are in charge of the people who give the go. Russell Wilson's washed, and he needed the Seahawks in a way that none of us understood other than Pete Carroll. Nobody won last night's game other than the Seattle Seahawks who are laughing all the way to the bank. All right, 855-212-4CBS is, is the phone number. You think I just gave a shot at Nathaniel Hackett? You should see what Draymond Green did to Jordan Poole. Literally. It's on TMZ. I tweeted it out. I, I didn't break it, but whatever. You can find it there. Sports writer, Sports R-E-I-T-E-R. Uh, it's violent. It's ugly. It ain't good, and we're going to get into it next year on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to the Writer Than You podcast. All right, welcome back into the show. Uh, D-Cell just blew my mind. 
I made fun of some expression in the break. I don't, I don't remember what it was. And D-Cell, and it took me 30 seconds to know what the hell he was talking about because it's, it's, it's like it's a voice of wisdom and you're not able to comprehend it. Tom, good morning, D-Cell, again. You go, what's up with, I'm going to do it in a Seinfeld voice, what's up with reiteration? No one ever iterates. They only reiterate. No one says iterate. Mind blown. Every time I've heard that. Let me reiterate this to you, Bill. When did you iterate it to me? Yeah. It's so bizarre. Is iterate a word? It must be. It's got to be, right? I've never heard anybody use it, but it's got to be. So I went through a phase in my life because I thought it was funny. And this reflects on me psychologically or morally, I know, where I used to just get in the elevator and not turn around. I would just face the back of the elevator because <laughs> I thought people's reaction was funny. It's because someone pointed out, like, why do we, why do we turn around? Why not? Because you want to face the door because that's where you're going to be walking. Why? I mean, you turn around later. And some elevators have two doors. Have you noticed like there's two doored elevators, but people still turn around? That's fair. I don't know what to do in that situation. In a similar vein, I'm going to start saying iterate in conversation. Just like, can I just? That's a great point, sweetheart. Uh, but can I iterate to you that I don't want to take the garbage out on Tuesdays or whatever, whatever the expression may be. Um, all right, good talk. Good talk on a Friday. We discussed yesterday, as did the entirety of sports talk media and much of the world. It was a big old trending story. The reports of Draymond Green striking violently, I think, was the was the reported expression. Jordan Poole at a uh, yeah, big story at a Warriors um, practice, and we're going to play you in a moment. We'll let you listen to some responses yesterday of Steph Curry, of Steve Kerr, of Bob Myers. Now they were there for the incident, or at least Kerr and Curry were, and, and Bob Myers was told about it. We weren't, but the sound that you're going to hear, the the comments given by the folks in the Warriors organization happened yesterday, and what happened about an hour ago, I think is a lot more interesting, even less than that, and that is that about an hour ago, we a little less than that, we got an actual videotape, TMZ, I don't know how TMZ, it's a good, it's not, when I went to look at it, I thought it was going to be blurry, it is clear, and Jordan Poole is kind of under the basket on the floor, and Draymond Green's in the corner, and he just walks up to him. And Draymond Green makes first contact, right? And, and they sort of move to the baseline and maybe even out of bounds a little bit under the basket-ish. And Draymond Green bumps him, right? Bumps him, which nobody likes. Like, no, any dude out there knows you're big, you're small, whatever. Like, when some other guy touches you in your personal bubble space, bumps you, it, it, there's, a, there's a reaction. There's just a chemical reaction. Of, and probably not a good idea, but understandable to me in the context of what happens, Jordan Poole pushes him hard, but weakly, if that makes sense, right? He's not pushing him down. He's and and very quickly, Draymond Green with a right straight into the guy's face, violent, violent strike. And I want to tell you, Jordan Poole crumpled. It's hard to see because it's all chaos the minute it happens. But he goes down, and and Diesel, it is a much uglier. And I thought there was going to be a punch, and I thought it wasn't going to be good. And based on the reactions of, of Steph Curry and Steve Kerr and Bob Myers, which we'll hear hear some of that, and, the, and people kind of came to Jordan Poole's defense because Chris Haynes reported that that Poole was acting like he, you know, was t- you know big, you know what, because he's about to get paid. Everyone refuted that, and there's a lot of drama. 
I assumed it was bad because because all these guys there, Curry, Kerr, Bob Myers, the GM of the Warriors, they are well served by. They need to downplay this as much as they can, if it were possible, if it were kind of a big deal, but it didn't look as big as maybe it might. They would have said, "Oh, this, you know, get out of here." No, their reaction was like, "Oh, it was bad," but it was worse, Tom, than I even than I anticipated. And I thought it was going to be bad. Much, much worse when I saw the video. I don't know, and and you said it, Golden State. They're going to downplay it, downplay it, downplay it. Now that we've seen the video, I don't know how there's not a suspension. You have to do I, something. I agree. Once there's and video, changes everything. It always has, right? I mean, like it, punishments and, and public backlash. Now, the, what we know as of now, and that'll change when these guys speak again today, presumably when they speak, is that Draymond Green came to the facility yesterday, apologized after we got off the air, left, is not going to be at the facility today, Friday, and tomorrow, Saturday, but would play in the preseason game on Sunday and wasn't expected to miss time. All that could change. I understand, I believe, I, I know that Draymond Green is more important now than Jordan Poole. Now, that may not be true in two or three years, which is part of the reason Poole's going to get paid and Draymond Green's not. I got it. But in this window, in which the Warriors are, are clearly the favorites for an NBA championship, they obviously just won, I think the Celtics are going to be really good still, but they lost their head coach to a really ugly scandal, so there's certainly a scenario where that impacts them. We have seen some health issues from the Bucks over the years. They're my pick this year, including Chris Middleton right now. The Nets could win the whole thing. They could also, you know, that Draymond Green punching Jordan Poole video could, could be, you know, an appetizer to what actually goes on in that next locker room if things go, go south. My point is there's a window here for Golden State, and it is enhanced by some of the issues and some of the other competitors, especially in the Eastern Conference. That said, it's hard for I understand how, how, how Draymond Green has more value now. If I'm Bob Myers, I'm not telling the media anything right now because I am contemplating a serious suspension or moving on from the guy. I, I just... I just am. I'm probably not getting there because I want to win, but it's serious enough that you can't dismiss it. And I know he's a vocal leader. I know people like him. I know human beings are complicated. I'm complicated. You're complicated. If I were to punch somebody at my place, I'm not important enough for this to apply, but if the most important people at my company, at CBS Sports Radio or WFAN or, or CBS Sports, punch someone like that, there'd at least be the contemplation of moving on. There has to be. And I think you... In retrospect, listening to Steph Curry yesterday and his frustration with the report that Jordan Poole somehow maybe brought it on himself with his attitude, you can just hear in this clip Steph Curry grappling with what we all just saw 40 minutes ago. There's a specific tweet that was put out yesterday about insinuating that JP's attitude or something has changed since he's been in this uh, training camp or even, you know, whatever time window they're talking about it's absolute bs yeah I, I mean it's it's obviously these guys are dealing with something that's ugly yet simple rule you can't punch your teammates and some of this and this isn't why draymond green did it he wasn't thinking straight he just right he went to a rage place but the post de facto response that jordan did it yeah he ain't jordan this ain't this ain't the 90s it's not. It's not okay. And remember, when when Jordan punched, ironically, Steve Kerr, who who is the coach having to handle this, it, it it wasn't a time. I was reading. I was listening to Smartless again, which is this podcast that Jason Bateman and Sean Hayes and um, Will Arnett do. It's I'm telling you, D. Cell. It's one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my entire life. When I'm done listening to a bunch of sports and Odyssey podcasts, this is what I go to. And I ran a podcast, so I did it on the airplane yesterday, and they were interviewing Kevin Bacon. And Kevin Bacon made an interesting comparison about fame. 
where he said when he got famous with Footloose and, and all you know those movies in the in the eighties, of every thousand people, one person had a camera. Today, of every thousand people, a thousand people have a camera. That's a huge difference. Is that Michael Jordan was able to punch Steve Kerr, and maybe sort of people knew, but it wasn't reported that much, and there was no way to watch it. This isn't a practice. It's not like I can go buy a ticket. It's not like I can go to this thing with, with a ticket if I'm a fan, and there's a clear video because someone just is always, you're always being filmed. And so Steve Kerr, the guy who once got punched, had to address what happened, and he addressed it yesterday in a very different reality than when he dealt with this with Michael Jordan as a player. The only thing I will say is that um, Jordan has been fantastic throughout camp. There was a report that I was made aware of last night that someone someone put out there that uh, that Jordan had an attitude in camp. Nothing could be further from the truth. He's been fantastic. So disappointing to see misinformation out there. Um, but I wanted to make sure I made uh, set the record straight on that. Everything else we will handle internally and um, we'll go from there. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the kind of thing that can derail the Warriors. Uh, the reports that they're citing is Chris Haynes. I'm not going to shy away from who it is. I don't know Chris on a personal level. I respect the hell out of him, and I think he's one of the best NBA reporters in the country. And what I'm about to say is not meant as a criticism of him writ large. I think he's excellent. And beyond that, he's one of the few people who can get access and insight from players. That is hard to do. It takes a lot of trust. You have to be a hell of a reporter. That said, when Chris put his his tweet out, and I have no doubt somebody said it, the first thing I thought was that comes directly from Draymond Green's mouth, or at least Draymond Green's people. It is a spin attempt. And the risk you run sometimes as a reporter, and I'm not, a, I'm not good enough at my job the way Chris Haynes is to have to worry about this all the time. The reporting I do is always under, almost always to sources about, you. I won't quote you, just tell me what's going on so I can write stuff that, that, is, that is true. It's a totally different thing then I'm going to put it out there. I'm not criticizing Chris, but you do have to be careful being spun. You, you, you just do. And, and the pushback is so aggressive from everybody in that organization. And, and then you see the punch that I do think Draymond Green realized. This is my speculation. Um, because Draymond Green has a relationship with Chris Haynes, and Haynes has broken a lot of Draymond stories. You could put two and two together. I think Draymond realized, or the people around Draymond realized, immediately, absolutely right away, this is potentially career redefining in the short term in terms of his status with the Warriors and what it means. And so as much as I respect Chris Haynes, I think because rarely I rarely will I dismiss reporters reporting when people push back, but the viciousness of the punch and the comments that are reflected throughout that team by what you heard from Steph Curry and Steve Kerr make me think this was a lot more, maybe entirely about Draymond Green and not at all about Jordan Poole. And by the way, it don't matter. Can't punch a guy in the face like that. Can't do it. I, I'm not trying to make light of it, Deesa. I'm not trying to make light of it. But if literally, if I were at the office in New York, I'm not, I'm in L.A., and I punch you in the face like that, or in the reverse, you punch me in the face like that, would you agree, regardless of the context, would have been said before that, the value you or you, or you the value you and, and I do or don't bring in the eyes of our bosses, we'd both be fired immediately? I think we both would have been walked out of the be- uh, building ASAP. And the the same rules that apply to you and I should not apply to Draymond Green. He is much more valuable than we are. But remember, had he done this to Steph Curry, he would have been walked out of the building. He would never step foot back in that building ever, ever again. And Jordan Poole ain't, ain't Steph Curry, 
but they're going to give him a whole Jordan Poole a whole bunch of money because they think he's important to the future of what they do. Jordan Poole ne- needs to make a big leap. Jordan Poole is a guy who played, I thought, at a pretty high level at times last year, but did not perform le- well in the postseason. And there is a, now a, a recurring history of Draymond Green being that guy who treats the sacred cows, and that's Stephen Claywell, but is hard on everybody else, especially the young guys. Kevin Durant could take it, left because of it. And by the way, Katie's got his own thin-skinned issues. But these young dudes who come in there, and you hear talk about Draymond being so hard on them, it breaks their confidence. We like to throw out the word leader. We like to pretend because you're excellent and you're cool and you're smart and you're a winner and you have some value in what you say and do. It translates all the time to your leadership. But those of you that have bosses who aren't perfect know this isn't true. I've had great bosses who didn't get the credit they deserve, and I've had terrible bosses who were great at playing the PR game. I'm telling you, Chris Paul ain't much of a leader. I'm telling you. And I know that, and I'm now doubting Draymond Green's leadership skills, too, because leaders don't do this. This doesn't happen with leaders. Draymond's a great player. He's one of the smartest and most thoughtful people in the NBA, but what he did is unacceptable. And whatever the Warriors choose to do, and it ain't an easy solution because he's valuable, the fact is, whether they punish him or don't, whether he plays every game or he misses some or a bunch, whether they eventually move on from him or they want him there forever, whatever the consequences of this, what happened, that punch, is vicious enough it could bring the Warriors down, and that's on Draymond Green and nobody else. 855-212-4CBS is the phone number. Man, worst Thursday night football game of all time. Check. Russell Wilson sucks at football now and is washed. Check. Draymond Green violently assaulted Jordan Poole, according to a TMZ video we all saw. Check. And now sad Tom Brady saying the entire NFL is terrible. It's a real pick-me-up Friday there, D-Cell. Nothing but, and we're going to get the bum of the week, which is a real, real positive segment. But that's where we are. Tom Brady has a critique of the National Football League. D-Cell has one take on it. I have another. And we're going to get into that here on the show after we get a CBS Sports Radio update from my man Greg Caserta. You're listening to the Writer Than You podcast. All right, this season, for the first time, you can hear every Westwood NFL broadcast stream live for free Mondays, Thursdays, Sunday nights, the International Series, holiday triple headers, and every postseason game. Catch all the action on the Odyssey app on the westwoodonesports.com site. That's westwoodonesports.com. I'm good at talking. Via Westwood One Station streams or by asking Alexa to open Westwood One Sports. All sponsored by AutoZone. It's time to say goodnight to that check engine light with the free AutoZone Fix Finder service. It'll help troubleshoot the likely cause of your light for free. Restrictions apply. Get in the zone. AutoZone. I got to be honest, D-Cell, I cannot say goodnight without thinking about goodnight moon. You, I, my, the, you don't every do that time. regularly to all your household items, your car, everything inside your house? You don't say goodnight? Goodnight, living room light? No. I, I mean, I say to my brain when someone's – I hear good, even like goodnight. I read goodnight moon to my kids so many times. It's so lyrically excellent. Are you a good night moon guy? We don't have that one yet, but I will say this. My little guy is very into books now. Grabs the Dude. grabs them off the shelf himself and just wants to read book after book before he goes to bed. Dude, encourage that. That's great. I mean, I'm good night moon, good night room, good night. I don't know. I can't. Well, obviously, I really memorized it well. I'm a very bright person, but it's a gr- it's a great book. I should send you a copy. I'm, I would if I was a better friend, but I won't. So just go and buy it. It'll cost you three dollars. That's not true because you and your lovely wife sent us a book, and we read that one all the time. It's actually by a quarterback that we talked about earlier in the show. It's pretty funny because Lori asked me 
like a year ago if you got that? I'm like, I don't know. She's like, are you going to ask? I'm like, no, I'm not going to be like, did you get the gift I sent you? Oh, so we it's got nice. it. Yeah, I think I've read it five times this week. Nice. Don't ask me what it's called because I kind of, I, 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 you know, I no way I remember the difference in all these books. But, oh, yes, we've read it several is it, times. Is it called How to Write Thank You Notes? Uh, no, 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 that, no, touche, touche. No, no, dude, I'm kidding. I don't write any thank you notes, and I never have, and Lori would get so mad at me. So, like, for years, I would bump into people, like, who would, get, who would have the same conversation with first, like, I sent you something. I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks, man. I got that two years ago. And then there was this change where I would, like, show up and say, like, dude, that thank you note you sent was so nice. I'm like, oh, yeah, I... You are welcome <laughs> for the thank you note that yeah, I gonna, sent. Uh, I'm going to say that's my wife's fault on this one. She's not no, li- She's not listening, so I could say it's her fault. Oh, nice. Nice. Well, I'm glad you got the book. I'll, I'll, I'll tell Lori, and then she'll yell at me for, for bringing it up on the air. You didn't write a thank you note. And then just the marital circle continues. The circle of good night room that I sleep in alone on the couch. All right. Uh, speaking of marital disharmony, um, I want to I want to iterate this to you, Diesel. I really want to iterate to you how much I think, and I've never been through this, but how much, and I have friends who have, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to iterate and to realize and then iterate to the world that going through a divorce with somebody you love is would be painful and awful and impact work. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. Um, that was my perspective. I know you had a bit of a different one. I just heard a guy who's down and depressed and sad when when Tom Brady talking to the media yesterday did a pretty downer critique of the of the quality of the National Football League this year. Tom, in all your years, there's even more parity now. There's a lot of teams that are two and two. I think there's a lot of bad football from what I watch. You know, <laughs> I watch a lot of bad football, a lot of yeah, poor quality of football. That's what I see. I mean, he ain't laughing. He ain't in a good mood. Now, I know you You and I went to different places on this, D-Cell. I went to, and they could both be true, by the way. I went to, oh, my God, this guy is so down. He's so depressed. And, and this certainly would make sense if it impacts performance because the latest reports, and again, who knows what's true. It's people close to the couples. People Magazine is the main. It's so weird even discussing what People Magazine is reporting. But, but. The reporting is that she basically has had it, and he is sad and depressed, and has gotten a defense, uh, a divorce attorney to protect himself. But doesn't really want to get divorced, but maybe she's pushing it. And I understand, I understand, uh, Giselle uh, fans that that Giselle, you know, might be the good guy, and, and Brady might be spinning against Giselle. I, I, I totally understand. I totally understand that. Um, but still, it sounds like he's he's down. You had a you had a, you had a different take there, uh, pretty daddy. I did. You know, maybe shame on me. I took these comments at face value here, and I think he's absolutely right. I think he nails this one. There's 32 NFL teams. 15 of them are 2-2. Two and two. I think we have two. Two elite teams out of 32 right now in the NFL. No. What are you talking about, bro? There are, there are certainly elite teams that are currently 2-2. Two and two. They're probably just really hard to identify. They're hard you know, to identify because they're two and two. We think they're elite. We want to say they're elite. Maybe they should be elite, but they haven't been. So I think I know it's a huge question mark I'm about it, but I think the Dolphins are elite if 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 Tua Tagovailoa can be healthy and and his health obviously and, and the situation he's dealing with and the the concussion reality that that they mishandled as it relates to his his situation the last couple of games he played. 
all that is part of the mix. Two is healthy. I, I think the Dolphins are elite. I, the Bills are elite. The Chiefs are elite. I'm going to tell you, I think I think the Packers are elite. I think they're an elite football team, even if they haven't quite played at an elite level, at least in the regular season. I'm starting to have my doubts about, about Aaron Rodgers in postseason games because I've seen enough NFC Championship games where he had a chance and just couldn't couldn't win the game himself. Um, I mean, it is hard. I, I, I mean, to be fair, yes, It after that, it, it gets harder to recognize who the elite teams are. Who let, am I missing? Let me ask you this way. Well, well, to me, you mentioned both of mine, the Bills and the Chiefs, and I'm with you. If two is healthy, I would add a third team, but right now he's not, so I, I just have the two. Let me, let me phrase it to you this way. Okay. Do you think with the extra game, now 17 games in the season, do you think teams are less urgent to get off to a hot start? Teams like the Bucks, teams like the Packers, who know they're good teams, but it's okay to get off to a little no, bit of a slower start. No, I don't. I think So I think parity is what the NFL wants, and it's why the NFL is so dominant because it matters in every market, and you realistically can turn around from a four-win team to a 10-win team from one year to the next, whereas in baseball, going from a 50-win team to a 100-win team is almost impossible, and in the NBA, going from a 25-win team to a 60-win team is almost impossible. I mean, I just So I think that the parity that the NFL pushes is always going to create just the like you're going to have these moments where this happens. I think in those situations, you've got a Bucks team that has a depressed quarterback who's getting divorced and doesn't show up on Wednesdays for understandable reasons, and, and they have been a little underwhelming. And the Packers always start slow. Well, that always isn't true, but they start slow often. It is often that Aaron Rodgers kicks it into the, some ridiculous Hall of Fame quarterback meets superhero level in October or even November. So I'm not... I mean, let's go through it, right? I mean, you're talking about the Browns are a team that have been super underwhelming but don't have Deshaun Watson. I still think they're well coached. You talk about the Bengals, what are they? They're hard, they've won two games in a row. They won one of those games early on. They'd be 3-1. and one. They were in the Super Bowl last year. I bet we'd be discussing them as an, as an elite team. I'm, I'm not saying that they're, they're not elite, but the Titans have won two in a row, and they could very well be the best team in the AFC South, and we just don't recognize it yet. We have dismissed the Eagles and the other thing is the teams that aren't two and two, right? The Eagles, the Cowboys, the Giants, three, four and zero, and then three and one for the last two. The the Vikings. None of us believe in any of these teams. So it's not just the two and two teams. It's the teams that are winning. We don't we don't buy into. But I don't I don't think it's a seventeen game thing. I, I just think it's a statistical anomaly that's going to be realistic when you've got a lot of parity and four games. Maybe maybe four games is no longer enough to see the NFL clearly. Maybe it's six games now given the parity, given the reality of, of the NFL and the importance of quarterback play and the way that I think in the end, if you got a top-10 quarterback, you're going to pull ahead of the herd for, for the most part. And we just haven't seen that yet. Not yet from from teams like the Bucks. Also, you've got injuries. I mean, I think the Rams are probably elite. The Niners have an elite defense at least, right? So they're kind of hard to figure out with Jimmy G. I think things will become clear as time goes on. You know I'm not known for my sunny disposition, but I think Brady's right here. I think there's a lot of blah NFL that we've seen so far. I'm with you. Plenty of time to change it from what we've seen so far. And I think Mike Florio is the one who pointed this out a couple weeks ago. That's all we have to go on. That's all we can react to. That's all we have right now. It's been a lot of blah. Exemplified by last night, by the way. Are the Chargers likely or not likely? Chargers are elite at the end of the year. Likely. Likely or not likely, the Eagles are elite at the end of the year. 
I'm going to go likely by the, on that. I'd go likely, but it's close. it's close. I'd go likely. It is close. Likely or unlikely, either the Browns or the Bengals or the Ravens are a lead at the end of the year. One of those three, yes. And I Absolutely. Think I think it's Baltimore more so than the, the other two. Absolutely. I think we agree Buffalo is elite. The Dolphins could be. My, my point is there are going to be five or six or seven or eight teams that are elite in our imagination, in our mind's eye, by week eight or week ten. Right? Either the Rams or the Niners are going to be one of them. The Bucks are probably going to be one of them again. The Packers, for me, already are. I think the Eagles are. That's four or five. The Chiefs are. Maybe the Chargers are six or seven. It won't be a team in the AFC South, but one of the teams in the AFC North, that's seven or eight. And then the Dolphins get us to eight or nine, and maybe, maybe or the Bills do, excuse me, and maybe the Dolphins. So I think, I hear what Brady's saying, and this is what the NFL wants. I think a lot of this is Tom. I mean, he sound. You have to admit, he sounded sad. I've heard him say things like this in the past. Where he's laughing and wink, a little twinkle in his eye. No doubt about it. I mean, he's not very jovial right now, and we can understand why. I think he has a point, though. I had this terrible thought. It's such a such a in the gutter thought. But I was reading this story about about poor Brady being sad and how he doesn't want this. And then I thought, it's awful. It's terrible. I feel for him. I love my wife. I'd be I'd be crushed. My wife didn't want to be married to me anymore. But Unlike my situation or your situation, Tom Brady's going to be okay. He ain't going to be lonely. He, his his bed ain't going to be empty. You know, five years from now, I was thinking, who like, what celebrity would like Brady? I hate to say it. I'm not saying upgrade to. I'm just saying if 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 Giselle left him, you know, what's what's Brady thinking? I hate myself for having that thought. People Magazine meets Sports Talk Radio. I'm Bill Ryder. Let's talk to Nick Casos next on CBS Sports Radio. 